Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, I'll just read extracts from the book. Um, I've just had another book published, um, which is also over in the bookshop. Uh, it's slightly different. It's called The Ivy House Diary, and I've just come back from London um, reading it. Uh, it's about anarchy in a drama school in the swinging 60s, um, the nights when I used to dance with Helen Mirren on Hampstead Heath. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. It's rude and very different to the work that uh, I'm going to read from today. Hopefully, perhaps, I can read from it next, next year. Um, I might bring Helen along, um, but she, she doesn't reply to my letters anymore. Uh, anyway, I'm going to read the Darwin. It, it's, it's been a very busy summer um, because it's been the 50th anniversary. Um, I've been filming with the BBC. Um, we've been diving, looking for the wreck. We think we possibly have found something. We had a big commemoration with um, relatives of those lost and the Bishop of Cornwall rededicated the um, memorial screen down in, down in Mylor. Um, all that is included in, in the book. Um, what I'll do now for the 15 minutes is just read from the book. Um, I'll get up here and I hope it'll give you a feeling of the, the tragedy that the, the Darwin was. On July the 30th, 1966, England won the World Cup. But whilst the nation celebrated, there occurred on the following day, Sunday, July the 31st, 1966, one of the worst British sea tragedies of modern times. This took place when the motor vessel Darwin was lost off Cornwall with all 31 men, women and children on board. This book, tells the tragic story of the mysterious loss of the Darwin. Perhaps now the full story of the tragic event can be told for the first time since 1966. I have visited as many locations as possible and interviewed local people in Cornwall who remembered those fateful days. I have also spoken with friends and families of some of the victims of the Darwin tragedy, and they were very supportive and willing to give freely of their memories. I hope the book will speak on behalf of those lost on the Darwin. So what exactly was the true condition of the Darwin as it was prepared for the fateful trip on July the 31st. Throughout the summer, although plenty of work had taken place, there seems to have been little or no expert advice given on the recent alterations. No emergency flares, buoyancy apparatus, or other such safety equipment seems to have been carried. There was one dinghy in davits on the stern, two life boys, possibly two life jackets, and one dinghy towed astern, which had one life jacket in it. The appropriate charts were on board, but the vessel carried no form of radio. The two large windows in the wheelhouse were cracked and were, 
to a certain extent, vulnerable to bad weather. No windscreen wipers or clear-view screens were fitted, and the vessel was not fitted with bilge keels or any form of masts or steadying sails. One of the saddest aspects of the Darwin tragedy is that 27 of the 31 victims were all guests at the Greatwood Hotel in Mylor. It still remains unclear who was finally responsible for the block booking which took so many guests to their deaths on the ill-fated trip. On the morning of July the 31st, people were ready to board the Darwin for the day's cruise to Foy and back. As the morning wore on, so the weather began to deteriorate, and when the Darwin pulled into Foy Harbour at 1pm, it was raining heavily. The Darwin, however, did not pull alongside the main quay, and local Foy boatman John MacDonald watched as the passengers came ashore in three loads in a dinghy. It looked overloaded, and I called to the skipper to suggest he brought the boat right up to the quay. But he shouted back, Can't do that! She's a bitch to handle. The passengers spent the day in the harbourside cafes and quaint shops that are found in the narrow streets of Foy. The town was full of tourists and still very busy in spite of the awful weather conditions. A southwest gale with driving rain was beginning to blow into the harbour when at 4pm the passengers were rowed back to the Darwin, which had remained anchored just off the main quay. Restaurant owner Ernie Billingsbury watched them embark. With their dinghies so overloaded, it was down to the gunnels. I heard a boatman shout out a warning to the skipper not to put to sea. That boatman was foy fisherman Johnny Richards. I cried, go to Pole Ruin across the bay and anchor till the moon comes up. The skipper shouted back, mind your own business. The Darwin's engines burst into life and the boat pulled away from the shelter of Foy. There was a child on deck singing and waving a toy windmill. The Coast Guard logged the Darwin, leaving the harbour at approximately 4.45pm. Just outside the harbour, the Darwin was seen by tugmaster Ernie Holder, who was out fishing, but about to run for Foy because of the deteriorating weather conditions. He saw the Darwin making good headway and the passengers were waving. The boat passed him off Canis Boy and headed southwest into the driving rain and gathering force seven storm. Ernie recalled, she passed within about 30 yards of us. Just as they went by, I caught a big fish and all the passengers on board the Darwin waved and shouted. The last I saw of her was when she was motoring off to the west. The rolling catalogue of error and misjudgment were to finally prove fatal for the Darwin as she ploughed through the storm and reached Dodman Point. Local fishermen have always been superstitious about Dodman Point 
which is infamous as a place of raging tidal races. Local legend has it that a whistling is heard in very bad weather, and this whistling has lured mariners to their deaths on the local rocks. Peter Watson believes the Darwin would have turned fully into the storm as she rounded Dodman Point. You'd have been sheltered by the Dodman to a certain extent, but once you rounded it, you were literally in the full face of the gale. The awful conditions that the Darwin now faced can be vividly and dreadfully imagined from this report by a resident of Myla, Thelma Hurd, who was also out in a boat that day. My husband suggested a day out, a picnic at Percure with my two boys and my niece. During the afternoon, my husband noticed the wind had changed and said we should be making our way back to Mylor. He said it was going to blow by the look of things. We set off in our naval cutter. I was concerned for the children. The sea came up over the side and I could foresee the worst happening. By the time we made the crossing, it was blowing a hooli. My husband could see I was not a happy bunny. He kept saying, we'll be fine. The boat is made for the job. But it blew and it blew and it was awful. I thought we weren't going to make Milo Harbour. We were in the cabin and twice lost the dinghy and had to go back for it. Going against that wind. God, never again. I'll never forget those conditions to my dying day. It put me right off boating and I never went out again. I was absolutely scared out of my mind and I come from a boating family. We got home safely, but it was horrendous. It was so threatening. The boat was nearly standing on end. I seriously thought she would go down. My confidence was in my husband because he knew what he was doing and afterwards even he admitted it was pretty grim. He wouldn't show anything with me and the kids on board, but afterwards he said it was some crossing. The sea, it just came right up. When we got out into it from Percule, I don't exaggerate, but our boat was going down deep into huge waves. It was a beautiful day to start, but by late afternoon it had really changed. It was so rough coming across. We were coming directly into it, and the sea was coming over the sides. We were going up and down, up and down. It was awful. The nation's media descended on Falmouth, Mylor and Greatwood as the story that there was a probable disaster at sea. The local vicar and doctor were in attendance, but Greatwood Hotel was a dreadful scene of sadness and desolation. In the dining room, the tables were still laid for guests who did not return. And throughout the hotel's rooms and gardens, there were swimsuits hanging out to dry, towels hung up, comics, toys and magazines spread about. And outside in the drive were parked the many cars of the missing tourists. The loss of the boat on July the 31st and the subsequent search for the Darwin featured in parliamentary questions during the first week of August. Peter Bessel, the MP for Bodmin, was forthright in his questioning of the Under Secretary of State for Defence for the Royal Air Force, Merlin Rees. 
He was certainly critical of the time it took to initiate the search and also of the overall effectiveness of the search. I suggest that this is a matter of very considerable urgency. I suggest there has been a totally inadequate rescue attempt made by the departments concerned and responsible. The lives of 31 people are at stake. I believe the whole House will demand a searching inquiry into this matter. We want assurance that everything humanely possible will now be undertaken, for at this moment the relatives are so concerned that they are actually hiring private aircraft to carry out a job that should be done by the Royal Air Force. The tragedy soon faded from the nation's consciousness as other dramatic events swiftly followed in the late summer and autumn of 1966. The headlines were awash with major news stories. The Cray twins were soon to be arrested in London. Three London policemen were shot dead in the street and their killers pursued throughout the land. The terrible Abervan disaster occurred on October the 21st in South Wales. Spy George Blake escaped from Murdwood Scrubs prison and fled to the USSR. The Vietnam War intensified and the tense diplomatic negotiations between the UK and the illegal Rhodesian regime collapsed completely. Should you be in the area, it would be a fitting gesture if you could place red flowers next to the memorial screen in St Myla Church or on Amanda Hicks's grave in the churchyard. If you are out, however, on the heights of Dodman Point, then please leave some red flowers at the foot of the huge Victorian cross that stands on top of the lonely headland and write on a card in memory of the 31 men, women and children lost somewhere off this coast in the motor vessel Darwin, July the 31st, 1966. They should not be forgotten.